on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're talking about meaning again. That's right. This is part two of a two-part episode. So if you haven't listened to part one, go do that first. Start there because you'll be confused otherwise. (laughs) You'll be confused. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Karina Hoyer. And we are so happy to have you, friends, on this second part of our meaning discussion. After two years, yes, we have finally gotten to the meaning part of Ease, Meaning, and Joy. (laughs) We were working up to it. We're working up to the big heavy lift, which is ease, you know, of the ease, meaning, and joy, which is the meaning. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for tuning in. As you know, Karina and I are here talking about women and work and ease and meaning and joy. And meaning. Yum. (laughs) Yeehaw. Delicious. Yes, we are. And we are recording from the land of the Coast Salish people. Thanks for that reminder. It is fun talking about meaning. I'm not going to lie. This has been a heady one, as we said in episode it's one. It's been a heady one. And I was we were I was listening to our first, uh, our part one, to remind myself what we talked about. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, I totally monopolized the conversation. No, did I did. Not. I totally did. I'm, f- I'm fully owning it. Because I just love this topic so it's much. It's a pretty fun topic. I feel like I did all the talking. Isn't that great? We both feel like we both do all the talking. Yeah, that it's is good. great. It's really good. But you do love this. I love this topic, too. I'm totally mm-hmm. right there with you. Mm-hmm. I don't think you did all of the talking. Most? No, I'm just joking. Oh, pretty much all. No, yeah. not mm-hmm. all. Um, but it, it is funny. I'm it, As we will dig in later, especially the conversation that we had around values mm-hmm. and all of that prep work to get comfortable with or aware of my own values tuned into tuned into my own values mm-hmm. oh man i have my friends and clients and family are all like yeah we get it jesus i like i'm so excited about it i talk about it all the time <laughs> from my surfboard this this is a little disconcerting okay so friends i'm sitting here across from karina and she is on i think it's called a balance board yeah but it reminds me of a tiny surfboard at her desk and she's tottering back and forth on her <laughs> balance board and i think i have a really hard, i could not concentrate and do what she's doing it's funny because you and i we finally i think hit like found our perfect recording studio and for me it's all about being able to see you when we talk mm-hmm. i mean I, I don't know i'll post some pictures on social but you know, we have these giant contraptions in front of us and computers and so like to be over and around these things is to, is really too hard and so now kirsten's in this comfy chair she's snuggled up over mm-hmm. there got she, my mic all pulled up she's got her, her legs are crossed i've got co- kicked back her um coffee someone actually asked me recently do you always have brown liquor when you record and i said no 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 no. today we have matcha tea i have water i've got matcha tea uh and but i'm I'm, so healthy i'm and i stand behind a stand-up desk with my whole big contraption and um a lot of times when i work i stand on this balance board so this is the first recording from the surfboard slash skateboard slash balance i couldn't think i can't do one thing at a time you can't chew gum and no i cannot balance and talk (laughs) I used to have a stand-up, like a, I have a stand-up desk, and I had it walking treadmill. Yeah. And the whole point is to talk 
and slowly walk. And I was like, I can't, I can't even think. I gotta get off the board. I mean, off the off the treadmill. Treadmill. And that's why I'd have to go sit down. It was just totally purposeless. And I couldn't type when I had it on. Okay, I'm way off track. No, Back on. It's good. No, it's great. Back on to meaning. I love it because it makes me um, you know, sitting is the new smoking. I cannot stand that phrase. And also fifties the new black. I mean, wait, what is it? Fifties the new thirty. 50's the new 30? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm in for that. I'm totally in for that. I want that. Okay, so let's remind our friends what we talked about in that first episode with meaning. Because mm-hmm. I think, I'm hoping, if all goes well, we will build off of that first we'll build episode. build off of that first episode. During yep. this uh, second shtick. So what 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 are we talking about here, Kirsten? Do you want to bring us back? Do you want to bring us down? Do you want to bring us, do you want to ground us in what meaning is? So people find meaning at work when their values are reflected in the activities that they do at work. That's right. So what you value the most, the things you find are the, the, about yourself. For your own humanity, yeah, your own humanness. Things are most important for you. When those align with the tasks and the work and the job and the culture and the people that you interact with, that's where we find meaning. And we know all the great things we get from meaning, right? If you have meaning at work, you're more engaged in your work. You're more likely to stay. You're more likely to... You're uh, happier. You're happier. What's that word? Move up the ladder. There's another word for that. (laughs) What's the word for that, Karina? (laughs) get promoted you're more likely to get promoted and we know your health is better oh right my God. You, like, yeah you're like 700 less times dementia, yeah, less like, not that, that really showed it but less dementia <laughs> you're more productive you're healthier more yep. creative more able to yeah. solve problems etc frankly and you're also better easier to be around mm-hmm. i speak from experience when i'm doing meaningful work it's infectious yeah. When I'm around people who are clearly doing meaningful work, it's a, it's it's like they it's are having a you magnetic be a part attraction. Of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. When you when you work when you find meaningless work, it's the opposite of that. So in the last episode, speaking of talking a lot, did I just totally bogart the microphone for no, me? No. Okay. Please do. Okay. So when people find meaning at work, what we learned in the last episode was that there are some internal things, internal factors that really kind of influence whether or not you're able to primarily find your values and primarily your values. So if you have yet to do that values work, I just want to recommend it one more time. You know, I we talk about this all the time. Kirsten mm-hmm. and I are constantly researching how to amplify people's work experience, mm-hmm. how to really kind of engage more deeply with our um, jobs and with those um, of our clients and people we work with, obviously, on this podcast. And the work that we did around values was like... The, Some of the most important. Yeah, it's like the clouds opened right. up and the rays of sunshine came down. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh my God. Because you really don't know where you're going unless you've evaluated where it is you want to go. Right. And that is driven by your values. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. What you find is the most valuable, mm-hmm. the things mm-hmm. you value. So, okay. So there's a lot of internal factors, values, aligning your work with your values, etc., are super important to finding meaning. There's this other piece to meaning, though. The external piece. Which is the ex. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The things that are happening, not inside your head, but the things that are happening around you, mm-hmm. right? That's what today's episode is all about. So what are those external things? So the external things are, what are the values of the employer where you work? 
Yeah. What are their values? How do they match up with yours or not? Yeah. Uh, what are the tasks that you're performing? Yeah, absolutely. What kind of contribution are you making? Is it recognized? Is it is it valuable to you? Yes. Right. Those are the kinds of things that we look to the outs, you know, like those tasks that you're performing in your job, your duties, who you're performing them with. And for and yeah, I was gonna say who you're performing them for, what the net benefit is, etc. So it's interesting because it all seems like a duh, that's like a no brainer. But there's been some recent work in the field of what organizational psychology? Yes, organizational psychology. But before we do that, I just want to just make a footnote to what you said. Like, duh, there's no question this values work is a duh. There's no question that this outside external stuff is, oh, yeah, of course. But when we are not intentional, right, we go off course. So even though this is like stating the obvious, it's like critically important to stay on course. Yeah. To not just say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, but to really contemplate and think deeply in yourself and give this some consideration and time so that you can get yourself some meaning. Yes. And especially for those of you who are not proactive. Yeah. Right. And and that's fine. If you're not proactive, you're a lovely human being. But uh, studies show that proactive individuals seem to tackle this stuff a little bit more than and are more able to find meaning. Yeah, that was. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So it is a little footnote to those of us who can sometimes not be proactive and to say, wow, this is probably one place where I need to like get a get a move on. Yes. Really give this the obviousness of this all, some serious consideration and contemplation. Yeah. I don't mean to minimize it by saying duh, but sometimes I feel like... No, it is. It's absolutely... It's like stating the obvious. It's like sometimes I'll say to people, oh, I'm like the master of the obvious, right? Yes. But we get lost in our daily lives. Yeah. With the laundry and the work and the phone calls and the emails and the carpools. And it is good to sink down in this and give what is pretty obvious some time. Right. Yeah. So... I just want to hang a few more definitions on this before we start working on kind of how to how to get this these external things um, going. One is meaning is more about what we do with what we have instead of what we have to begin with or what we accumulate. Mm-hmm. So today's episode is really thinking about what do we do with what we have? Because when we add meaning, when we find meaning, that's when we actually can see what our results are. Yeah. Right? So we create our own results. Do you want to say anything more about that? I think I just did. <laughs> I wish I had like some drops of pearls, but no, just that. I just, just, I really do think it's about, you know, it is about what we do with what we have. Exactly. And when you're able to be them to master that, master the control of the internal and external factors, that's when the sweetness happens. Or even recognizing the internal and what it is you need and aligning it in some way with the external. Exactly. Because you don't always control the external, but you do control the internal. Yeah. So there are are some external things you can control, like which job it is you decide to have or whatever. But that idea that you can find meaning in your work through what we're going to talk about next, which is job crafting. Job crafting. Yeah. So I was saying this earlier, um, 
there's been a fair bit of current research from organizational psychologists who have done have been taking mm-hmm. a look at how people already modify their jobs in order to make them in, in order to modify how they think about them. Back in 2001, Amy Wersisniewski, who is a professional, um, a professor of organizational behavior at Yale School of Management, she and another researcher, Jane Dutton, back in 2001, set out to understand the work of some custodians that were at the local hospital. And they put everybody through these battery of questions. They asked a whole bunch of folks to describe their work, describe their tasks, describe how they who they work for, etc. And at the end of our research she realized that these workers had the two distinct groups of workers had emerged from this study. The first one described their jobs by their tasks. Really what you would expect a custodian it's work to be. My job is to mop the floors, empty the garbages, clean the windows. You We're know. quote unquote just janitors. Yeah, yeah. They did not describe their work as highly skilled. Correct. They, you know, they just kind of rattled off the list of tasks. The second group that emerged from her study was clearly thinking about their work in different through a different lens. Mm-hmm. They talked about how they did their work in relationship to the patients. They would say things like, my job is to create a healthy space for people so that they can heal. They talked just about... So beautiful, right? right? I mean, just so beautiful. Yeah. And they talked about things that they did for patients and visitors that were kind of not really in their job description, whether it was, you know, making sure that some visitor found the right patient room or had the right thing. Just they they changed the way they did their job. Yeah, they described themselves as caregivers. Mm -hmm. And so that the tasks, when she really drilled down and talked to them about tasks, yeah, they did the other custodial tasks, but some of them even changed the artwork on the walls of the patients that were in a coma, you know, believing Mm -hmm. that they could somehow, you know, they may be influencing an outcome. They would notice um, patients who were in distress and would come cycle back a second time and clean clean the floor again, just mm -hmm. so there's another human in the room. So these people, while their job descriptions were exactly the same, really thought of their work in two different ways. In fact, when she's describing this study, she said, if you didn't know what we were there to do, you would assume that we had separated these groups out and asked them a different set of questions. Yeah. What she discovered and what she later named was that that second group were doing job crafting. Mm -hmm. They were redesigning their own jobs in ways that foster engagement at work, that build job satisfaction and resilience and make sure that they thrive. That is what job crafting is it is their ability to craft their job to find meaning exactly which i think is i love this study so much i just think it's so it just says it's like whatever wherever you find yourself there's an opportunity for meaning exactly Mm -hmm. so amy and and dutton uh jane dutton went on to then describe three different kinds of job crafting, which we will get into a little bit more. But there's another story I came across, if you don't mind. Oh, this is a great one. You know, and and it's an old fable. But I think it's something that, you know, illustrates the same point. Three bricklayers are all working on the same wall. And someone asks the bricklayers, what are you doing? And the first says, I'm laying bricks. Right? That's very, here's my task. I'm laying bricks. I'm putting down mortar. I'm laying bricks. The second bricklayer replied, I'm building a wall. So like I'm accomplishing something greater than myself. It's more than just the task. I'm building a wall. And the third answered, I'm building a great cathedral for God. 
So the third had a vision of how their daily tasks of laying these bricks kind of fit into a broader, more meaningful purpose, i.e. what I'm doing today is providing meaning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I love... And this really falls back on that that concept we talked about in the first part, which was some folks have jobs, some folks have careers, and some folks have callings, mm-hmm. right? And this story so beautifully showcases that. That you can be doing Mm -hmm. the same task Mm -hmm. as a job, a career, or a calling. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, though, is that what this person did was sort of, I'm wondering if in this fable, you could say that the third bricklayer had a value that they were able to manifest on their daily basis. That's what I think. That's exactly the point of it. It's like, clearly, there's a person who has faith who say, oh, no, you know, I am building a great cathedral for God. Right. Right. I mean, so aligns with clearly some internal purpose and sees a greater vision to what the bricklayer is doing. Right. Whereas that first bricklayer just like I'm I'm laying bricks because maybe their values aren't to build a cathedral for God. Maybe they really their value really would have been they would have been better served solving problems. Or as we said in the first part. Sometimes just making a living for your family, just providing for your family is meaning. Yeah. So this all comes back to this super personal individual analysis and experience. Uh, but yeah. I love the art. I love how that's articulated. Okay, three types of job crafting. Yeah. Okay, the three types of job crafting, task crafting, that's the first kind of job crafting. Folks who find or do other things in order to increase their satisfaction, like the janitor who came back to the room several times mm-hmm. to check on a patient. Mm-hmm. That's or changing the art is not even in his task list or his job duty. Yeah. Maybe sweeping the floor is, but not three times, right? So yeah. that's an example of task crafting. Shape or mold your role. Yeah. And task crafting is kind of one that I think is really easy for us to do in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a job there are things that you like to do and there are things that you don't necessarily like to do. And then when you can find ways to focus on, on the tasks that you that are the, that are meaningful to you, that feel satisfying to you and offload the ones that aren't, um, that's one way of or task to pick crafting. Up tasks that provide meaning. The way that you answer a phone to talk to a client the conversation that you have with them. So it's not just sh- getting rid of tasks or offloading, but it's adding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, And I think that especially when you if you have autonomy in your job, or you work in a a large enough team where you can sort of cut cut and paste tasks, then that's one of the ways that's really ideal. That is ideal. When you can collaborate with your coworkers to take on or give up certain things because of what you like to do, and they like to do, of course, that's ideal. Yeah. Now, as a team of one, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, of two when I work with you, but when I work alone as a client, I have a ton of tasks that I, I'm not I'm not even necessarily well suited to do and I wish I didn't have to do. And I said to you this morning, oh yeah, if I could task craft my way out of never having to invoice again, I would love that. Now I know we're gonna talk about this again in the next couple of segments, but just as an example of task crafting, if I can, if I could mm-hmm. find a way to do a trade with a client, if I could solve a problem for an hour and you do my invoicing, mm-hmm. that would be a uh, win-win for you. A win-win and an example of task crafting. Okay. The second kind of crafting is relationship crafting, which is changing up our interactions and how we work with other people and who we work with. So, really. 
what relationship crafting asks us to do is to really think about who we interact with on a daily basis, who we talk to, who we work with, who's on our team. And it and you can relationship craft outside mm-hmm. of your normal everyday experiences. I do this all the time at work. How do you do it? I really, there's certain people I really enjoy discussing a problem with, having an intellectual debate with, creating some kind of a, you know, uh, outcome or whatever. So this gives me great pleasure. And I will actually go around and find different people to talk to about different things, because it's so satisfying to try to talk about a business issue with one of my partners or to call somebody outside of the firm and say, hey, da, 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 da. I mean, because we are relatively small, I find that I reach outside of the law firm a whole lot for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing my work, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just really satisfying to have those relationships to solve the problem or to address the issue or whatever. Or to relate. Mm-hmm. And so when we're seeking meaning in our lives, if we've gotten a sense of or if we're, if we're solid in where our values are and we're able to sort of change the daily tasks, that uh, next level mm-hmm. is to find people to work with who align with your values and who kind of give you that energy. And as we've you know also learned in previous episodes, relationships are one of the keys to the other stuff too, like joy and satisfaction and ease. Mm -hmm. And so really thinking about, again, not only what you do, but who you do it with are two different ways that we can craft. And your clients, in that example of the hospital, those people are relationship crafting with the visitors. Yes. To and the, the patients and the patients mm-hmm. and the administrative staff and the yep. other so so there are a lot there's a lot of opportunity to find meaning in work by shifting Who or building interacting yeah with. building those relationships mm-hmm. yeah the third one is a little bit aligned with sort of the in some of the internal work that we've talked about and that's cognitive crafting you want to talk about that at all? this is probably my strongest frankly yeah this really is as far as job crafting this is my strongest and when you were talking about the invoicing this Mm -hmm. morning I was like oh yeah I don't really like invoicing either but when I invoice a client I have an opportunity to revisit every project every matter I've worked on to follow up where appropriate to bring it to a close so it really allows me to get something else out of it which is knowing that I have taken the next step or concluded a matter or made sure we've just got all our T's crossed and our I's dotted It also is a great opportunity for me, I've found, to give value to my work. Like I look at something and I can say, oh, I charged them $800 and I really provided all this value. Or I can say, oh, cow, $800, that's a lot for that. I'm just going to cut my time. Or I can acknowledge, yeah, that client had a really big problem. Wasn't their fault that they had this problem. I was able to help them. And I want to do a professional courtesy discount because I want to acknowledge that they got stuck in a really crummy situation. And I want to. So I actually now love invoicing because of the way I perceive it in my own head. Yeah. So you did this cognitive crafting, Mm -hmm. crafting. This is my new accent there. Um, (laughs) You changed your mindset about about a task. And Mm -hmm. when you were describing that to me, I realized, wait. I can think about invoicing in that framework. And in fact, today, not. no, I, I'm going to because I'm stuck <laughs> with it, A. And I I have so much meaningful work. It's weird. There's, there's not a lot that I do that drains me in my work. It's so funny having found 
such meaningful work that, that is aligns, your calling. That is my calling that aligns with my values. When I have to do invoicing, it sucks your soul out of your body. I, I avoid it. Like yeah. I do all of those things that but tell you, me yeah. those mm-hmm. warning signals, like, Krina, you do not like to do this. You don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, since I can't task craft it and I can't relationship craft it, I better well uh, mindset cognitive. Crafted. Yeah, change it. your mindset. And when you just said that about adding, about seeing the value, I just realized today I sent an invoice to someone, which by the way, I used to feel very tail between my legs when I sent invoices. It's so funny. Now, three years later, I'm like, yep, here's that to owe me. Good but for I, you. I created yep. an invoice and I realized, holy shit, I just developed, designed this entire two day retreat and all of the prep materials and thought every single st- step through. And it was such a good deal. I felt like I, I was off- I offered such a high value to my client that then all of a sudden you feel satisfied. I feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. Meaningful. I feel like because my work you is meaningful. satisfied one of your values. Right. Yeah. That's how I am. Like I've satisfied my value of being of service. I want to be of service in this world. Yeah. I love solving problems. Yes. And that gives me a chance to go mm, look at all that. Yep. And one of my values is innovation. Mm -hmm. And I was incredibly innovative in that situation. So by doing one, two, or all of these things, the the folks who are proponents of job crafting, and I would say, I think I speak for both of us now, I think we are, you know, they argue that you really can redefine and and reimagine your work and get more meaning out of it simply by changing or modifying these few things. Interestingly, Amy and Jane, in their 20, 2001 study, also found that, and in all, in a lot of subsequent studies, they found that we do this whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Employees job craft all day long to try to find meaning. And you know you do it. Yep. I don't, you avoid the things you're not that aren't very meaningful to you and you just gravitate to the things that are. And I believe that when we approach these things with more intention and awareness of our values, then the efforts that we're taking to job craft will lead to better results. Yes. I think that sometimes if we're not aware of what we're doing, we tend to job craft our way out of stuff we don't like. Mm -hmm. That's all great. But I want people to flip it. I want people to flip it and say, oh, I can stay away from what I like, but I can also go towards what I do like, what is value to me. And I think that takes a little bit more intention. You know, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I want to just highlight it. It's one of those like, Kirsten's so smart. You're so funny. We job craft to avoid Mm -hmm. naturally, Mm -hmm. but with intention, we can job craft toward. Exactly. Okay, I feel like I need to stop talking at this point. No, you're doing great. No, if we average the talking in the last episode (laughs) of me and the talking in this episode of you, and this is appropriate because now we're talking about the practicalities of finding meaning through this exercise called job crafting. Yeah. Before, we were just talking about things kind of esoterically and metaphorically, which I am great at, right? That's where my high value is. Is it going to lead to anything? Probably not. But boy, that was fun to talk about. And that's my value. Right there we go. My value, intellectual curiosity. You know, and here we are. You're getting it done. We're Thank operationalizing you, this. We're operationalizing We're operationalizing meaning, meaning. Through, through job crafting. Through job crafting. And so, again, you do it. You can and you can move towards the so things that you want. Your tasks, what tasks you perform, relationship building, who, who you, you per- perform yeah. them with or maybe not with. Yeah. And three, cognitive crafting, which is just basically your mindset. Yep. 
And if those are aligned with your values, which you already know of, because we've mentioned, you know what they are. Time and did all that work and did the study and the test and blah blah blah. Then you have more meaning at work, which results in, oh yeah, higher satisfaction, right? More commitment to the job. We talked about these early on in the episode. Increased attachment to the job. Yeah, hey managers, if you're seeing high turnover. Start thinking about how to get folk give folks meaning because it will increase their attachment. Yes, it will increase their attachment. And would you just do a little footnote? Because I know many of our friends, folks, listeners out there are in management positions. Mm-hmm. So if you're a manager, Karina, what mm-hmm. would you tell what do you tell those folks about providing opportunities for their staff to craft their job i think i think a couple of them just off the top of my head you're just throwing me a curveball i'm gonna have to st- i haven't even thought about this ahead of time and let's i know you're good- so ready for it am i good at, I, let's see how good i am at, um off the cuff let's see how good i am on my balance board over here you know i would say normalizing this creating making it making it okay to modify your team or to modify your work just mm-hmm. as long as the work gets done i think is one way managers can do that another and and actually studies support this like most things I stay would say, but this is like a made up, um, is that if you can identify the end, the goal, where you want people to be, and then back off and let them figure out how to get there, mm-hmm. that is that that, that is an cre- opportunity for job crafting. That is a for huge folks. opportunity for job crafting. If you can put people together in unlikely teams where they can mm. build relationships and have opportunities to know people outside of their sort of core group, that's another way as a manager you can. I also think. And this isn't me. This actually came from a suggestion, I think, from Amy Wersosniewski. And she said, have a job crafting fair. Have a task crafting fair. Oh, interesting. Fair. When you have a bigger team. When you have a bigger team, mm-hmm. have people come to the team with things that they oh, just... Oh, I love doing this. I don't love doing yeah, this. And interesting. see if you can yeah. kind of rearrange the deck chairs a little bit and give people an opportunity to do some... And by setting up that kind of opportunity, you're telling people it's okay. Yes. Right? You're encouraging it and you're saying, yeah, this is something we want to see. Yeah. And what if you can't? I mean, what if you're not a manager? What if it's just, you know, what if you're, uh, how do you do this as an individual? If, you know, you asked me. I think we flip back up to the janitors. Yeah. I really do. I think we flip back up to the janitors and figure out how is it that I can perform this task of cleaning the floor in a way that is aligned with my values? If I have OCD, it's going to be good enough to just clean that floor spick and span, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel that way. (laughs) But if your value really is being of service to others, then you need to recognize the connection between the service that you just, the work you just did and what it provides for other people. Like I'm providing a place for people to heal, to be, you know, to be safe, to all those things, right? Yeah. I think that I just have to say, the janitors provide such a clear, for me anyway, a clear path on how to do this. Yeah. It's I I that janitor study for sure. I also want to call out It's funny how we frequently categorize. I'm not going to say you and I necessarily, but I think that it's pretty common when you're talking about jobs and you want to come up with a quick example of a job that's shitty. We use custodial work as All an the example. Time. All the time. And as someone whose husband was a custodian, it is the most noble I work know, right? out there. And so, you know, we have this janitor study because it was a study that was done on custodians. But I want to make everybody, you know, I want to be crystal clear that I don't, like, on the spectrum of work. that's the whole work, point. 
That is the point, right, of this whole conversation. It's like if you take tickets at a movie theater. Yeah. There's a way to look at what you're doing, who you're doing it with, and what you think about it, no matter where you are. I mean, that's the point. I mean, people. some people have to think about it harder, work harder. Maybe you're in a job that's more aligned with your values. I don't know. But that's the whole point of the conversation is that, I think anyway, that all work is noble. All work is, is meaningful. No, right. Yeah. And, and in some ways, noble. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give you that. And, and I, I just, yeah, I, thank you for that. And it's funny because sometimes we think about, yeah, doctors versus janitors or whatever. And if, if COVID mm-hmm. has taught us anything, it's just that, you know, frontline workers come in all different professions. Yes. I have to go back to this crafting thing, though. In, you know, th- I was thinking about when I, I used to sell clothes at the mall. I worked at a daycare. I was a waitress. I've kind of done a lot, a lot of um different jobs and I found ways like one of my values I realized I was so competitive oh you wanted to have an opportunity to succeed yeah achievement yeah and so I was the best salesperson at the mall of course in our region at that one particular store I remember we would have competitions around like who can sell the most glasses of whatever whatever chardonnay and I was just like on it selling bottle after bottle after bottle I love efficiency too and and as as a server I was but just that's like, when we both did the study of our values, that was high for both of us, achievement and success. Yeah, exactly. And and now that I'm thinking about it, I took great pride in that work. I found great meaning in that work. And I loved the people I was working with and I had mm-hmm. good relationships. And, and so it's funny how now in retrospect, I found meaning in work that I, I'm not, you know, in ways that... That what, defied your assumptions. Yeah. And I guess that's the, the other thing. The other point to this, the lesson in this, the opportunity, which is we have all these assumptions, right? I think you just get in there and figure out, hmm, is this assumption really accurate? Do I really hate my job? Yeah. Right? Is it really meaningless to me? That's the whole point about just not negatively job crafting, but positively job crafting. Right. What is important to me? What can I modify? Who can I modify? Oh, believe me. You need to kick the ass of your (laughs) assumptions. So true. And again, when you do, you're way closer to finding meaning, you know, and there are uh, ways that folks can do this. There are all kinds of exercises that you can do. You know, if you just I'll put them in the in the um, show notes. Yeah, great. People that are interested in digging in deeper to this idea of job crafting, we'll put some links for you to explore in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. Because, again, finding your values Aligning those values with the work, the people, the mindset brings you to this place of meaning. meaning. Yeah. So delicious meaning. So delicious. Mm -hmm. And such a delight. I mean, I feel very animated about this subject because it's just, it's like a kind of the clouds parted a little bit when we focused on it. So I really hope that for our friends as well. And it is, as we started initially with part one, it's this big topic that feels like, oh, meaning. And we start with the Stanford Journal of Philosophy or whatever. But I'm really hopeful that what people take away from this is, no, this is a simple exercise in looking at myself, looking at my job, matching it up, and then taking some steps to make it match up better. 
Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then kickstarting the, those around you. Mm. I mean, we can be an inspiration to our coworkers as well. So, mm-hmm. because as we said initially, when you get on it, it is infectious and inspiring and engaging and excited and all the rest of the e words. Magnetic. E-words. Exactly. I was Perfect. For more e words. Oh. Love the e words. Did you say energetic? Mm, I don't know. Ethereal? Love it. Love it. Entertaining? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't come up with any more. Oh, my God. Okay, we did it. We did it. We did it. Two we did parts. It. Two parts. Uh, can't wait to see everybody. Or, well, I can't wait to talk to everybody in two weeks. Yes. You can, how about you? Uh, I'm just excited for folks to, like, it has been two years for us to talk about this topic, which I think is fascinating. And I am really excited for folks to spend some time on thinking about this because I really think it's going to really be a needle mover. I do too. Thanks for listening, friends. Bye, folks. Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork.com at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs)